Welcome to Political Point of View on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM. In this program, we talk with politicians of all types, of all sorts, from local government through to central government, and including aspiring candidates. Sit back and enjoy. Hello listeners, today is another day of a political point of view with Graham Priest, today's guest Bernie Wandon, Mayor of Horofanui. Uh, Bernie, um, how's this new traffic light system and um, the other changes affecting the way council staff and council operates? Uh, look, it's, it's pretty complex to be honest. Um, it's been a very difficult uh, last few months trying to try uh, find a path way that uh, satisfies our um, sort of need to service the community but also protect staff and and the vulnerable in the community as well. So, look, it's not easy. Uh, we've spent quite a bit of time uh, canvassing uh, the thoughts and, and views of the staff, uh, seeking um, as to whether they want their workplaces to be vaccine uh, pass um, uh, requirements. Um, and also, um, council of obviously last week um, talked about the the need for a vaccine pass in our public facilities, libraries, pools, and the council building. And uh, look, it's not easy um, in this present climate. Um, there is a you know lots of thoughts around um, that we still need to provide services uh, to everybody. So yeah, it's a challenge. So what's the current outcome? Uh, the current outcome is, is that uh, from uh, next Wednesday, uh, next Monday, sorry, the 21st of February, uh, public spaces in uh, the Horofnur, um which are our libraries, our service centres, uh, the council buildings and our aquatic pools will be vaccine pass required uh, for all those that are over 12. Um, and this is... Um, same, we're asking also that staff um, look at, uh, well, be uh, double vaccinated at least uh, as well. Um, and there's obviously negotiations and uh, different uh, pathways forward for those people that aren't uh, vaccinated. Okay, so you, you've got a problem in that one of your councillors is unable to have a vaccine. How are you going to get around that? Um, so the councillor will be offered um, attendance by Zoom, and we've been doing that quite regularly over the last uh, couple of years with a number of uh, councillors who have either been away or not able to attend meetings or have been sick, and even that councillor you refer to was on maternity leave for a few months and, and was still able, though, to uh, Zoom into meetings. So, yeah, there is the ability to do that. Um, what I suspect will happen, though, over, over a, a reasonably short period of time is that we will see some adjustments. And I think the introduction of sufficient numbers of rapid antigen testing will allow alterations to that policy to be made reasonably comfortably. Um, so, yeah, look, that is going to be the policy for the short-term uh, future. Uh, but I do see some review of that policy, you know, in a few weeks' time. There's been a total turnaround in the government point of view of the use of rapid antigen testing because initially 
they were not approved and they considered not reliable. What do you think's caused that? Oh, I think the reality of uh, the number of cases we're getting, I think the reality of making sure that we can still go about our business, um, that the reality of the economics um, impacts that people off work or staying at home and isolating have. Um, rapid antigen testings, while they may not uh, initially be reliable in terms of doing it yourself, I think a, a valid um, test that is done by an agency such as a pharmacy or a health centre will be sufficient um, in, I would say, just about every case to allow entry for those people. Well, there's something, what, about 80% effective, so if you have two tests in rapid succession, it, uh, you've got a pretty fair chance of it being, being right, haven't you? Well, exactly, and look, if you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling too flash, um, regardless of whether, you know, it might just be a cold or, a, you know, a runny nose or something like that, the ability to be able to go and get a quick test to, um, to be, you know, sort of assured that you haven't got it, um, but also if you have got it, then, you know, sort of measures can be put in place to make sure that it doesn't um, impact the rest of your bubble, if you like, or your work colleagues or, or your family and, and things like that. So, yeah, look, I, I, I suspect that uh, rapid antigen testing, when it becomes readily available, and that's the challenge at the moment, uh, whether you personally or a business needs to acquire um, those tests, um, I think there will be a lot more confidence in terms of the ability to be able to manage those sorts of situations and hopefully mean that we can continue pretty much as we are at the moment. It seems to me to be basic common sense. Yes. How frequently the, basic common sense isn't, isn't legislated, is it? No, look, and, uh, I mean, there are, you know, it's interesting, you know, the protests that we have in Wellington at the moment, there's a lots of views and opinions in terms of what they're doing and how they're doing it. But in terms of why they're doing it, um, there are, you know, there are reasons other than um, the, the anti-vax brigades there are those that don't believe in mandates or don't believe in uh, sort of the authoritarian um, expectation of, of government expecting you to do do things. And, you know, I, I, I almost sense a change in people's thinking slightly uh, in terms of that, that, um, you know, we now, that we've got this increased cases, we're not stamping it out or eliminating it, but we somehow we need to be able to deal with it. And finding that sort of balance between protecting those vulnerable in our community, uh, also making sure it doesn't spread too fast, but also allowing people to get on and do, um, you know, participate in life, um, you know, that's where the challenge is. Yeah, well, the big problem is, is economically it's going to hit in about 12 months or so with a lot of, uh, particularly those in hospitality, are going to turn their toes up. Um, have there been many cases in Levin or the environs? Uh, they have. Um, we've got a few in Horofanua, um and we've um, fortunately um, they have been in areas where uh, it has been bought in rather than um, come from within the district. But there are there have been a couple of cases uh, in the Shannon area. There's a few cases in the rural part of the area. 
and I'm sure that that is probably uh, spreading a little bit, but um, so far it's not been rampant. It's not climbing by any significant number every day, uh, and most of the cases have been within the household that uh, the initial uh, case has been identified. So it's not spreading to any great degree, but obviously there are some concerns um, in, in that space. Okay. Have you had many cancelled events? Uh, not so many cancelled events uh, in the last few weeks, but I suspect that over the next month or two there will be a number. Um, we've had things like Waitangi Day uh, celebrations cancelled, though, and we're looking, you know, generally February, March is a time where we have Children's Big Day out, we have our Pacifica Festival, uh, we have a few of those sorts of things, and at this stage, none of those are due um, to be able to operate, which is a shame. Okay, what sort of plans have you got in place if this um, Omicron explodes in, in your area? Well, there's a, um, there is a plan in place, and it's mainly being um, done through uh, the Ministry of Social Development and the Health, Health um, Board. So there is there are plans um, as a region in terms of what we're doing, um, and then our incident management team are also obviously planning for um, those that eventuation. Um, we are trying to uh, certainly as a council, um, as many people are working from home as possible. Uh, we're looking at uh, probably reducing hours in some of our facilities so that we can hold, have two teams working, um, but that is a challenge again. Um, so, yeah, look, there are plans in place. Um, hopefully when they're not required, uh, but there is a lot of um, work going on in the background to support uh, both um, the staff and those vulnerable people who could be susceptible to catching this. Yes, I know in my daughter, one of my daughter's case, she... Uh, works for a pretty large company and they've got their group split up into two lots so that there's um, and they don't mix so no, each section has got two you, if you've got the staff uh, numbers to be able to do that uh, look at my own situation, my business I've got no doubt that if a case is found to be positive amongst me or my staff um, I will have to close my business and that when that starts to happen, that's going to have a significant impact on everybody. Indeed. Um, in my daughter's case, she's deemed a part of an essential team and um, she's actually not allowed to go into the office at the moment. So for the next month, she's working from home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Over the Christmas break, has anything gelled? Is there anything come out about the three, three waters or the possible revision of, of the um, local bodies? Yeah, look, there's been quite a bit of uh, activity going on again in the background. Um, our council last week um, actually decided that we would um, join uh, that group that is... Um, asking the government to pause and rethink uh, the whole reform and to also look at different ways of doing it. Um, 
um, the modelling and, and things like that. So we have joined that group. That group is now 27 councils strong. Um, but also in the background, the working party that the government uh, set up uh, prior to Christmas to look at uh, the way representation was done on those entities, uh, governance and accountability, has been well um, doing a lot of work to provide the government with some, maybe some ways that the reforms could be improved or altered. Uh, they're expected to get back to government by the end of this month and we expect a number of changes to be made to the whole uh, reform package. But in the meantime, um, we know that there is also work going on uh, with the transition uh, unit, which has been set up to manage, if you like, the uh, what is happening now to when it starts in June, July 2024, has been asking for data and information from council. So the process is going on as well. Uh, so yeah, look, it's we we expect uh, over the next two or three months, probably uh, some more detail from the government in terms of how these things will work. It's a huge change, Bernie, and not only a huge change. It's going to need a lot of skilled staff that are not apparently available within current government um, departments. It's not something that you can just flick a switch and it all happens. You've got to... uh, exactly, uh, and we've got exactly the same challenges because our water and people or our infrastructure people often do more than specific roles within stormwater or uh, or you know water treatment or, or wastewater. There's a number of different parts to their roles, and to suddenly take them out of those sorts of um, jobs overnight um, and that transition is really important in terms of how that works um, not only for those employees who will are pretty much guaranteed roles in the new entities but how do councils exist in that in that space before or after and all the other roles that did uh, one of the big talking points at the moment is that a lot of those infrastructure people that we have on our staff are often involved in the emergency management side of, um, of councils and you take that expertise out of councils um, it, it's going to put some real pressure on as well Yes I would have thought that the sensible thing to have done would have been to have had the review of <clears throat> local bodies prior to uh, such a, an enormous upheaval as, as the three waters because yeah, look, there's never there's never a right or a wrong time to do these reforms. The 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 three waters reforms have been talked about for a long time. It's been it's not a new concept. In fact, some people have been telling me it's been up to ten years that the the whole process has been talked about. In terms of the future of local government, um, I think that we have had the same sort of setup in the local government uh, sector for nigh on thirty years now. It is definitely time for a review, uh, but in terms of the timing, yeah, it's not flash. I agree, but um, in most cases, like major reforms like this, they take a considerable amount of time, and it's never, you know, it's always going to be um, up against other reforms or, or changes in the sector. So there's never a right or a wrong time to do these things. But I, I do think that they need to be looked at as long as. 
it's just not lip service and that things are being, you know, seriously considered for the future uh, of, of local government in, the, in this country. I note that um, there's been some talk about Wellington taking some of their services away from contractors and going back in, in-house. What, what's your thought on that? I think a lot of people are having uh, a struggle at the moment uh, with the delivery of those services um, that sometimes is unseen. Uh, we in Horofanoa have had an alliance uh, with, um, with Downers over the last few years, which uh, we're, it's up for review uh, later this year, uh, where they are contracted to do a lot of our maintenance and renewals and some of the big roles that we do so that we don't have to find the expertise ourselves. Uh, that alliance um, it, it has worked well, but there are challenges around uh, staffing and delivery of that service, whether you're getting, whether ratepayers are getting good value for money, um, and especially now that we've got these reforms in front of us, is it the right thing still to continue to do? And I think there'll be a pretty uh, big discussion and, and debate over the next six months or so as to whether we continue our alliance in, in, in space of that. I think everyone's going through that that space at the moment um, and, and trying to either manage costs or think about what's going to happen if the three waters reforms do actually uh, get uh, put into place. Hmm. Has there been anything definite further about um, whether or not there's going to be a, an extension to the train service? So that's uh, with uh, Cabinet at the moment, uh, with to be part of the consideration for this year's budget. Uh, the business case has been made and, and put together. Uh, the challenge will be timing and money. Uh, the, look, the, the intention is to increase the service delivery on the Palmerston North to Wellington train service. Uh, there is a, are a number of options in terms of uh, how that will be uh, delivered with trains that will be sort of you know, a combination of different powered um, inputs like battery or um, hydrogen even and those sorts of things. There is, um, but we're not looking, unfortunately, for that to be implemented until about 2027. But definitely there is a a realisation that train uh, service has to be upgraded, more services delivered. Uh, They're looking at you know, for return trips between Palmerston North and Wellington a day. We're unlikely to see electrification um, north of uh, Otaki at least. There may well be, they may well look at electrification to Otaki, but um, that again is another cabinet decision. So, yeah, look, it's the business case is there. Uh, we have to see, wait and see what happens in the budget. Okay, that's it's interesting to see, because at one time we used to have a great rail uh, rail car service, and there were, you could go to Wanganui, Napier, all through the wire wrapper, um, and you could actually go two different ways to Napier, either via Woodville or, or um, the wire wrapper. Uh, 
and the population was only half what it is now. Yes. Different times, though, Graham. Yep, it is indeed. Uh, anything coming through the regional mayoral group? Uh, look, the regional mayoral group is meeting uh, often and regularly uh, on all sorts of things uh, with transport, emergency management, climate change, uh, accessing central around all the different um, projects that are in the central North Island. Uh, it works well and uh, there is good collaboration and there is good uh, feed, you know, sort of interaction between uh, councils. We do actually realise the benefits of working together as a group and we know that government will, are much more likely to acknowledge or hear from us as a group rather than individually and and we have also got the challenge um, because of where our position is that we are also part of the Wellington Regional uh, Growth Framework so we've got a foot in both camps which we're very um, lucky fortunate to do um, and, and so we we can get a good feel for the bottom half of North Island if you like and there is definitely a lot of uh, uh, positivity coming out of uh, this part of the, the country. Well, there's certainly a lot of interconnectivity and interdependence, uh, both with the workforce and 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 the economy in general. Hmm. Uh, was there any damage from that last horrendous rain period? We have been extremely lucky uh, with both weekend's events over the last uh, couple of weeks that while we've seen a bit of um, surface flooding and a bit of uh, stormwater issues around the district, on the whole, uh, we've been extremely fortunate. Uh, the one over the weekend that's just gone uh, almost sort of parted a little bit and went north and south of us. Uh, we were extremely lucky and as my emergency management uh, person told me yesterday, we dodged a bullet big time. There were some problems up around Opeki, wasn't there? Yeah, look, we've had quite a bit of rain up that northern end of the, the district and roads were closed for a period. Um, but And a lot of surface flooding on different uh, parts of, of the district, but all in all, nothing like um, it, it happened in various other parts of the country, that's for sure. Did it cause any problems with the sewage system? We do have, um, so we've had to have sucker trucks out in both Foxton Beach and Waitareary where um, the stormwater gets into the wastewater um, system and does cause overflows and things like that. So it's really important that we... We are a lot more aware of those situations now and weather predictions are, are such that we can be a bit more proactive in terms of how we deal that, uh, with that. So things will organise well. Um, you know, Plans were put in place to make sure that we had the trucks out there early rather than after the event and so we avoided a lot of the, uh, the issues that could have uh, arisen. That's excellent. Uh, there's some work going on with um, Foxton flood protection. What, what's what's happening down there? A lot of discussion at this stage about uh, Foxton flood protection. So we are sort of uh, still in the discussion and planning stage around uh, what we call the Foxton East Drainage Scheme. Uh, Foxton has had a number of flood events over the years uh, that have affected a lot of residents in that eastern part of Foxton. So there's 
um, money actually was given through the, um, um, you know, the PGF funding or the CIP funding uh, through COVID to actually um, contribute towards that uh, that drainage scheme. But it's trying to decide what is the best way of dealing with that water and um, and the cost that that will be. Um, so I know that there's some a visit um, on site today. In fact, uh, for councillors, engineers, locals to understand what the issues are and to try and find you know a solution that will satisfy um, some of the problems we've got up there. The Waikawa Reserve dock is locked in. What, what's the reason for that? Um, yeah, look, you'd have to speak to Doc about that in some ways. Um, they, the maintenance of that is their responsibility. Uh, they make the they make the decision around those sorts of things. Uh, we can certainly ask about it. Um, the fact that we weren't really told about it beforehand um, wasn't flash, but. Uh, we are in communication with them, I believe, through our parks department to try and find a solution in that space as well because it is well used and, um, you know, it's a nice area and, and, you know, hopefully we can get some access to it. It seems a bit draconian to suddenly out of blue put up a whack and great locked gate. Not for me to comment on why they've done it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's stick to diplomacy then. Yeah. Uh, did the protest convoy going through Levin cause any, any um, traffic flow problem? Uh, not that I'm aware of, to be honest. They were, here, they were through Levin um, pretty early in the morning. It was, you know, sort of 6 o'clock to sort of half past 7 type of thing. So they were um, through town mainly, um, mostly before the day got going and from what I understand they were respectful of other uh, motorists and vehicles on the road and they didn't sort of just clog the place up um, and it moved reasonably smoothly uh, and there were a, a great deal many vehicles that's for sure and they it did take a long time for them to get through town but uh, it, it, it went reasonably well Okay that's good news um the other good news department, what, what's this new Farikakura uh, school? So that's a, uh, a project that has been on the go for some years through the Mōpuku Tribal Authority uh, that Iwi have been seeking um, permission to, to build a school for some years. And now that has finally got over the line. So in 2025, um, we... Hopefully we'll have a new Kura uh, that will be from year one to year 13. Uh, the intention is, is that we'll ha- uh, have about 25, uh, 250 students enrolled. At this stage, uh, there's no definite uh, plans as to where uh, the school will be, but um, hopefully that's announced fairly quickly as well. Okay, it's quite an interesting development, isn't it? Oh, very interesting development, but... I, you know, the, I think that's a, a great addition to the education needs of this community and recognition that this area of um, the country is, you know, there's, there's sort of an ideal place for something like that. Um, and there is a need for a Kura uh, in that space. And 
you know, I see some real benefits coming out of it, not only for uh, the community, but also for uh, the Mōpuku iwi um, that will have, and others, uh, that will no doubt contribute to it. It's going to be uh, really positive, I think. That's good. Um, Stuart Donnelly Park is having a big upgrade. What's happening? Uh, there's, so there's been a, quite a, a bit of discussion around, um, there was some funding made available in terms of that park. And so we've had uh, some consultation with community uh, groups and others and residents to try and find out the sort of things that they wanted in that park. So there's a number of new apparatus uh, going in there uh, just to brighten the thing up and make it more accessible, make it more user-friendly and hopefully attract um, a lot more uh, people using the park. But it, uh, that, I believe... The, the equipment has been purchased and hopefully will get installed uh, in the next few months. Okay, for people non living residents, whereabouts is whereabouts is um, the park? It is in Foxton, um, so um, it's in Foxton Beach actually. So yeah, look, it's it's you know another another addition to the already we consider to be some of the best parks and reserves uh, in the country. And I don't know whether you saw uh, announced uh, in January that we now have five green flags uh, associated with our parks in our district, uh, which means that they have reached a standard, uh, where an international standard, uh, of not only how they look, how they're looked after, but also the... The combination of community engagement and use that they get and the relationship that with council and things like that. So there are 23 of these parks uh, across the country uh, that are signalled as green flag parks. We have five of them. Uh, we're only behind Auckland who have seven in terms of the number of parks. So um, we're pretty chuffed and proud of uh, what we've achieved here in terms of um, our parks, and uh, we know that they're they're pretty special. Something to be very proud of. Yes, definitely. Thanks very much, Bernie. Really appreciate your time. You're a busy man. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you again next month. This no is, problem, Grant. Thanks for the chat. This has been another session of a political point of view with Graham Priest, today's guest, Bernie Wandon, Mayor of Horofanua. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Political Point of View on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM. In this programme, we've talked with politicians of all types, of all sorts, from local government through to central government and including aspiring candidates. This programme is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.